Hey, Mom Spaghetti listeners. I'd been listening to Lost Boy Crow since 2016, even before we came up with the idea of the podcast. I featured my favorite songs from Lost Boy Crow in episode 36, On the Horizon, and I'm playing one of my personal favorites, Real Name, Under Me Now. Lost Boy Crow was nice enough to set aside some time to talk with me about his journey with music, the family and friends who have supported him along the way, and his overwhelming sense of gratitude for the life music allows him to live. I snuck parts of our conversation into episode 36, and since you're already here, you know this is the full interview. I'm going to see Lost Boy Crow live in a few weeks, and this conversation only increased my excitement for the show. Here's the full interview with Lost Boy Crow. Chris, a.k.a. Lost Boy Crow, welcome to the Mom Spaghetti Podcast, and thank you for joining me. Absolutely, Keith. Thank you for having me. Yes. I always want to find out, when did you start making music, Chris? I would say, that's tough, man. It's tough. It's because there wasn't a a clear moment. I would say somewhere between playing air guitar to the soundtrack of the movie That Thing You Do and playing a real guitar with actual strings at the Troubadour. last year so somewhere between those two things but we always had a piano around the house growing up so I was able to pluck around and I would say that's where I first discovered melody um, and familiarized myself with that and fell in love with making melodies or figuring out melodies was just around the house as a kid messing around on the piano. Did you take piano or guitar lessons or was it all self-taught? You know my mom <laughs> as many moms have, definitely wanted me to take piano and made that happen, which I'm very grateful for in hindsight. I didn't last long though, I didn't really like it. I kind of took off and on for several years in elementary school. Didn't love it in that capacity. And then I was actually homeschooled in the eighth grade. And I think that's when I actually started figuring out Coldplay songs and things like that and kind of beginning to I think maybe make my own even at the time so yeah and that was just because I was uh, not very self-motivated and had a lot of time on my hands well I always wonder with things like traveling or trying to get kids to learn certain things or like broadening their horizons with food just like anything of expanding kids worldview I always wonder, like, if there's a too soon and if some things are just rejected because of how early it was, as opposed to, like, if your mom had tried to get you to start taking piano lessons in eighth grade, maybe it would have clicked. Hey. But mine was the same way. Yeah. Oh, so you, same thing, you were made to take piano growing up. Yeah, there's a little bit of a longer story as to why it didn't last. It was actually my sister's fault, not mine. But Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, but it's okay. I think I turned out okay. Although I definitely, my cousin can play piano. And whenever we're all together as a family and there's a piano, he can just sit down and play. And there's definitely a little bit of jealousy coming from my end of the room that I didn't stick with it. I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I do play, but I certainly had, uh, you know, like you said, other friends and people I knew growing up that kind of were forced to play classical music and learn all that. And they can just sit down and play anything. And that's definitely easy to be envious of that for sure. When did you start singing? Because you were talking about the air guitar and then playing guitar (laughs) live and piano, but you never mentioned actually singing. And you have a great voice, so I'd be curious when you moved from singing whatever you were listening to to actually trying to be a musician. Thank you, by the way. I appreciate that. 
I've honestly tried to harken back to it a lot because it seems like it should be something I remember. <laughs> but like I remember singing, like choir was, and maybe this is all schools, but that was like a thing that everyone had to do growing up. But certainly at my schools and into high school as well, like choir was required. And so I guess I was always singing, but I never remembered what pitch was. Like, I don't remember thinking, oh, these are notes I need to sing or that I was good at it or anything. I think I was loud, but... <laughs> so yeah, I don't really remember that too well until I think freshman year, I met up with my buddy, Justin. I was at a new school. I had transferred I and mean, I had known him forever. And so we became close and he was like a really, really awesome singer that I looked up to. He also played drums. So he kind of maybe answer a couple questions here. He got me into trying to sound good and like sound pretty, not just a shower singer, but something that people would enjoy. So I would say maybe freshman year and then the following couple years, he and I and some other people got more into playing music together and starting bands and that sort of thing. I guess I would say singing in the hallways at school, maybe freshman year of high school, which led to being forced to try out for choir, like sophomore <laughs> year of high school. And then from then on, I was just a blur of solo ensemble adjudications and band practice and garages and all that. I have a few thoughts. The first is to answer your question. No, choir is not required at all schools <laughs> because... All right. Well, either it is required and they just didn't want me because my <laughs> voice is really that bad or it's not required. Then also my cheesy brain was like, oh, there's got to be some joke or something with choir being required. I don't know. Yeah, that, maybe that's a line. That. I don't know. Maybe that sounds like a, that it sounds does. Like a line in the song. I don't know if it's a good song yet, but it's definitely <laughs> a line in the song. <laughs> Feel free to take it. All right. <laughs> you were the one who said it, yeah. and then I just repeated it. So it's all yours. <laughs> Thank you. And then the other thing was, it's so interesting when I talk to artists like you, Chris, because there's so many of you guys who, when we talk about what started it all, where was the fork in the road, it seems like music was just always a part of your life. And there isn't really a true catalyst or event where you guys are looking back and saying, that was it. That was the moment that started it all. Yeah, I think there were several turning points that I would say, like joining choir or like meeting with my friend Justin, things like that. But definitely, to your point, I've noticed that too, it was just always around or like I have friends, same thing. Even if they didn't end up playing, going into that instrument, the music was just always around. So yeah, I definitely feel that. Was anyone in your family musically inclined or was it just you? My mom liked to play piano and she can read music. So I think maybe her playing, I didn't really view it as, oh, this is cool and something I want to do now. But, you know, in hindsight, that was something she was doing and that was around. And I think she really encouraged music. Beyond me not wanting to do piano lessons, she's always been really excited and supportive for me singing or playing guitar or anything. She played a little bit, but mostly just very supportive. My sister actually was the first one. She asked for a guitar, I think, for her birthday one year. And she's the reason that I started playing guitar because she stopped playing guitar <laughs> very, <laughs> very soon after receiving this guitar. And I was very interested in it. And I, I picked it right up. And I think I took one lesson, learned an all-time low song, and then just took it from there on my own. 
Is your sister older or younger? She's older, yeah. I was going to say, I feel, that sounds very much like a younger sibling thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> or just a sibling thing in general. I yeah. don't know. But I know my younger sister, like if I didn't follow through on something, that was something that she was going to pick up and kind of show off. Totally. See, you guys, but it's still, that's a huge thing. You guys still pave the way for us, whether you know it or not, you know? Yeah. Maybe more in retrospect, I'm aware. <laughs> I think because I left it behind and I was like, I don't care about this now. You can have that as your thing. <laughs> I always like asking artists. Sometimes there's a good story behind it. Do you remember the first song that you ever wrote and maybe completed? Man, that is so tough. I've honestly forgotten so many songs over the years, which is part of a larger conversation too. But man, I don't know. There were so many half finished or songs that I kind of vaguely remember before I started playing in bands and stuff. But the first song I wrote that ended up being the first Lost Boy Crow release was a song called Adolescent. And that's something that I'm, you know, that's an answer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's definitely a milestone. Uh, yeah, it was a milestone. There you go. Yeah. Is that one out there for the general public? or is It, it is. It no, is. Yeah. That was the first song I ever released. And it should still be out and about doing it. Was that in 2015? You know, I actually think that was 2014. I did start releasing music pretty much in 2015, but before I really knew what I was doing, I was just putting stuff on SoundCloud in literally December of 2014, which is awesome because I didn't have a team or anything to be like, yo, people don't release music <laughs> around the holidays. Like, don't. I was just like, yeah, December 21st, perfect. Let's do it. <laughs> Just no thought. Yeah, but it honestly didn't matter. I think it was great, if anything else, because maybe a lot of other people weren't releasing music. I released at least, I think, Adolescent in December of 2014 and then started doing everything after that. I wasn't going to ask this until later, but I'm not as familiar with Adolescent as some of your other songs, but there are a few of my favorites, and it seems like Adolescence and recalling on times when you were younger is a recurring theme in your music. Mm. Am I right, or am I reading into it incorrectly? No, I think you're definitely right. I haven't... <laughs> Well, I mean, we could get more into it in a bit. But yeah, I would say that's definitely a theme. I think a lot of my childhood specifically and just that time of life for most people consists of what, you know, what are you passionate about and getting to hopefully like explore those things. So in a way, I feel like I still get to do that and I'm blessed enough to do that. Maybe I'm just thinking out loud. Maybe that's why I feel like this connection between my childhood and who I am right now, like stronger than maybe some other people do, just because I feel like I kind of got to become a kid again and live my dreams, you know, starting a few years ago. Yeah, it's amazing. And I know that a lot of people who listen to Mom Spaghetti and also your music look at you and say, that is the dream. So it is really cool that you get to do that. And I also think. There's something about music, and I guess it goes two ways. I hope this makes sense when I say it, because in my head it makes sense. <laughs> but it's like with a song, you can capture a moment, right? Like mm -hmm. Even if it's 15 or 20 years after something happened, you can write a song about that event, and that song can encapsulate that point in time. And then there's also... Meta is the wrong word, but it's also like for everyone who listens to a song once it's released, that song then becomes a moment in time for everyone else. 
Mm. That's awesome to hear, by the way. Thank you. But yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of what I've tried to be a conduit or like conductor for as Lost Boy Crow is just the ability to recognize what you're drawn to, you know, and be able to recognize that that's not necessarily a coincidence or a mistake. And so I think not to use this word too often, but hearkening back to my childhood and being able to draw from those raw, vivid experiences of really like dreaming and being passionate for the first time and being able to draw on those things and hopefully like paint a vivid picture for others to kind of latch onto, like you said. Well, that's inspiring. And we as the audience and the listeners really appreciate the work that you put into it. Again, I don't know if meta is the right word, but Chris, what you're drawn to that you're saying is not a coincidence or mistake, would you say that that's music and performing and recording these songs? As far as what I'm drawn to? Yeah, because like you said, you want to be a conduit and mm-hmm. for people to realize that what they're drawn to is not a mistake and right, they should right, follow right. that passion. And so, like I said, I don't know if it's meta, if that's the right word. Again, I'm using it like you're using I don't know marketing. if it is either, but I love that word. And like most people, I know I am fully prepared to overuse it. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad we can share in that. Yeah, I would definitely say it is, you know, and I was someone that I feel like I more so than maybe a lot of people had a lot of support from family and friends. But even I mean, that only goes so far, you know, and no matter who you are, life has a way of, well, just, I don't know, not to be this guy. It's like a no, be that guy first year philosophy student, but like just society in general isn't really set up to dream for lack of a much better word, I'm sure. So it's easy, especially in the arts, to feel like you're wasting your time or that you're being self-indulgent by wanting to pursue a career in the arts. And, you know, I think even a lot of really nice, good people, whether they realize it or not, probably discourage others from pursuing that and view it as, oh, that's nice. It's nice that you do that. But what are you actually going to do? I think a lot of people even that mean well probably feel that way. So yeah, it was a long journey even for me, like I said, who had a lot of support to realize, oh, I'm not, it was a huge moment for me to realize I'm not a lazy person. Like I thought from graduating high school to like 24 or five, like I, I knew I wasn't a lazy person, but I felt like I was, if that makes sense. Like I'd felt from just others or like I said, the way society is set up in general that I was sloughing off or like messing around by like not really wanting to do these other jobs or these other things that I was doing. And then realizing, you know, as I started Lost Boy Crow, that that just simply wasn't the case because I could work all day, every day on music. And, you know, I'm down to pull like... 16 hour days on this thing you know that's not lazy at all I just found something that I love and I think that's huge it was huge for me I think that's like the basis of Lost Boy Crow I think that's my mission statement if I were to have one I gotta believe that a lot of people probably feel that way and are made to feel that way as well whether it's you know it's not always going to be music or something to that effect but I think it's important to realize what your passions are and there's a lot of cliches that go with that you know find something you love you'll never work a day in your life I hate to say it, but it's really true. You know, I think when you do find something that you are interested in, you can be really good at it and that can feel really good and you're going to want to work at that. That's not lazy at all. Definitely, that's something I struggled with for a while. 
first of all, that was beautiful. And I totally understand what you're saying. And I know that there are so many people out there, not just the listeners of Mom Spaghetti, but really everyone, I feel like, especially in our society, like you were alluding to, can frequently feel like there is an expectation of pulling your weight in society. Mm -hmm. And because of the system that we have, pulling your weight has a certain connotation to it in terms of what people's expectations are. And if you're not aligned with those expectations, good people, whether they realize it or not, probably discourage others on your bed. And you're like, what am I doing here? Like, what am I, what am I doing? Like, I don't want to do those things, but everything that I want to do, people are questioning if that's the right path for me. So I think that that's great that that's your mission statement. And I know I'm not a musician, but I honestly, as the host of the Mom Spaghetti podcast, I'll be honest, I get that sometimes too. I feel like Mm -hmm. when I talk to people about it, they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, look, this is something that I enjoy and it makes me feel fulfilled. So yeah, I don't know. And like you said, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. So preach. Yeah, man, I, I, I hate to say it. I feel like I'm just remembering like a coach or like a principal saying that to me or something or like an art teacher or something and just cringing a little bit. But it is really true. I think there's so much merit to that. And all that to say, I'm glad you're uh, doing this podcast too, man. Well, thank you. And dude, I have this like love-hate relationship with cliches because <laughs> I've had this philosophy basically since a year or two out of college that it just makes me so angry that every cliche is so right and so accurate. I know. (laughs) It's like, I know that's why they're a cliche, but damn it. (laughs) I don't want them all to be right. I know. I know, (laughs) but they are. We'll make a goal to cover at least two more by the end of this thing, for sure. I'm sure we'll find a couple. You were saying that there was a specific moment in time that you were questioning whether or not you were a lazy person and you had the realization that you weren't. Was there anything more to that moment or was it really just that simple? I think it was really that simple and I'm not sure it was one moment in particular so much as a slew of years from working certain jobs that honestly made me get in my car and cry from just exhaustion afterwards or, you know, trying to do too many things at once, which I don't regret, by the way. I think everybody has to cut their teeth and that's part of the process and making you really realize what you do want and being in bands and working long hours at other jobs and whatnot. That became like a normal thing to me that doesn't really feel right. And then when I was able to release Adolescent, (laughs) you know, and the following first few songs and realize, oh, people are enjoying this. And this isn't me like in my hometown trying to like force feed people my art, which I think is normal, by the way. And I think everybody feels like that when they're starting out, especially in their small, smaller pond. But that moment of realization of, oh, people other than my family on Facebook care about this, that made me really feel like I I was onto something and that everything finally meant something. All those late nights and early mornings trying to do everything and be a part of the world and also make art suddenly, you know, made sense to me. Well, I'm glad it did because I love your music and it's great not just to listen to the unique music that each individual artist puts out, but I love doing this podcast and talking to you guys and finding out 
either a message that I wasn't necessarily expecting or reading from the music or validating what I thought and thinking to myself, okay, I'm glad that what I took from that song is what they wanted me to take from that song. Yeah. And I mean, and to that effect too, sometimes it's cool to have it be something else, you know, like your own meaning in a song as well. I think that's really speaks to music that it can just creep in and it like strikes the same chord, the same like colors within us, but it can mean different things, which is cool as well. Totally. You're a good guy. You're a good guy, Keith. I appreciate oh. <laughs> you. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. <laughs> I saw online that you've done a lot of work with at least one of the band members of Floor, and I know you'll be touring with them this fall. So I wanted to find out a little bit more about that relationship, how you met up with them, and what that working relationship and process is like. First of all, you mentioned, I think when we were talking about piano lessons, I think you mentioned trying new foods as kids. And I just want to say real quick, I actually got the drummer from Floor, Kyle Hill, to try, I believe, green beans for the first time in high school. He had never tried them before. His mom could not get him to try them. And I was able to do that. And I think he ended up kind of liking them. And I think he likes them to this day. So I just wanted to (laughs) clear the air on that. Wait, that was Kyle? That's the drummer? Yeah, Kyle. And he and I actually go back way farther than that. He and I grew up together. Our parents are totally similar people, great friends. Like, we'll find out information about each other from our parents talking all the time. It's kind of adorable and (laughs) yeah. So we go way back. I've known him. I was a little older, but I've known him since he was in, I think, like third grade. And then I TA'd his freshman English class when I was a senior in high school for a bit. And then we were in some bands together after that as well. So, yeah, he and I go way back. He introduced me. He had moved down with the floor guys who are also from Oregon a little before I did. So when I finally moved down to Los Angeles in 2014, he introduced me to Dylan, the bass player, Dylan produces their band stuff, and I kind of showed him some ideas that I had, and we ended up hitting it off and making songs like Adolescent and Where It All Goes and Nobody Knows and stuff like that. Me meeting Dylan through Kyle just on that floor connection was really what started Lost Boy Crow and been a huge part of it since then. McKinley, the guitar player, and I, we were roommates for a while. He's one of my closest friends as well. We both started. Oh, it was. We had started it together probably like a few years ago. We were both behind and had just moved into our new apartment in L.A. And we weren't touring at that moment. So we were like, we should use this time to catch up on this Game of Thrones things, right? So we did. I'm sorry you wasted all that time. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm assuming you saw the finale. Yeah, it wasn't a waste of time until this season. I know, I'm I'm messing with you. The podcast. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a whole other interview. Yeah. Keith sits down with various artists and talks about how horrible and trash the last season of Game of Thrones was. Well, if you decide to go that route, I am fully down. <laughs> fully down. I think I gotta um, move to LA first. <laughs> Zach, the singer of Floor as well, he and I had gotten close over the years and he's somebody that I just respect so much as a vocalist and a lyricist and musician. There's nobody really like him. He's just a great, great dude on and off the ice, as they say. So yeah, (laughs) great, great band. Love those guys. 
we've been friends for a while and this tour has been speculating on it for years. We've been wanting to make it happen for a while. We're all really, really glad it's finally happening. It seems like a good time for it to happen. It's great that you're friends with all of them because I feel like that's going to make tour. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I just got a text from McKinley last night that was like, yeah, I can't wait to talk Lord of the Rings every night of tour. <laughs> she just gets me. And I also am very excited to talk Lord of the Rings with those guys and post about it. You know, it's all like the little stuff like that that makes tour even more fun. Like the shows will be great, but it's just the behind the scenes bonding friendship aspect, I think, is even more special for people to see and even more special because in our case, it's very real. So. Well, nothing makes friends closer like traveling. That's my opinion. Totally. Oh, yeah. That just creates an experience on its own, and you can't really get out of the experience because that's what traveling is. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I know you said you worked with Dylan on some earlier work. Do you still work with any of the guys from Floor for your solo music? Yeah, I mean, not at this exact moment in time, but we always try and cross paths. I've had Kyle play on a couple songs for me, drum-wise. Dylan's played bass on a couple things for me, and I know we always want to get in and work together as much as we can, but they've been doing an amazing job of just staying on the road and grinding that out and being awesome, which is one of the ways we get to do this tour. Yeah, and they've also been making their second album, which is incredible. So we don't work it together as much just because everyone's pretty busy doing their own thing. But I mean, we're always together and always open to that. That's great that you have. I know you talked about family and friends being supportive, but especially when you move to a new city, it's great that you have a network and people that are doing the same thing as you that can also help you out. Absolutely. I think it's vital. I think that's why I've enjoyed living in LA so much, not because really anything much to do with LA, though I do love the sun. I think the best part has just been the support and the community that we have between people like Floor and I and some other friends. I think it's important to find your people wherever you're at. And we've been fortunate enough to find that it's made it so much more fun and exciting. You talk about working with Floor in some of your music, and I read online, I'm not sure how dated the conversation or interview was, or if I misinterpreted, but I think I read that you don't really look to collaborate with anyone. Is that true, or did I misinterpret? I wouldn't necessarily say that. Okay, well, we can scrap that comment then. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. I think I'm more selective with who I collaborate with. I like to usually collaborate with people that are my friends because I think that just makes more sense, you know. And I think a lot of times it can be a fun way to begin a relationship as well, working with someone that you're not as familiar with. But I think it's always just made more sense to me rather than trying do a collab just to cross-pollinate fans or like because someone's like having a moment right now. I think the song or whatever you're collabing on is going to be better if you're friends. <laughs> yeah. I do collaborate a lot with my friends, actually. Sometimes I ask if there are any artists who are like a dream collaboration or anything like that, but it sounds... Ooh. Okay, do you have answers oh. to that? Well, I do if we want to ask it like that. I mean, yeah, I'll always, I would always love to more so collaborate with someone that I know and interact with. But Hutch Harris of this band called The Thermals, I feel like he gets me. I don't know. Uh, it sounds lame, but I think we could make some cool stuff. 
Oh man, nothing sounds lame here. Alex Turner, Alex Turner is. I feel stupid even saying it because it's such an like anyone that knows me knows that like he can just do no wrong in my eyes. But I genuinely do think we could make some cool stuff together. Is that Arctic Monkeys? Yep. Okay. Yep. Arctic Monkeys. Yeah, the Zolos would be cool to collab with. Again, I don't know if this is cliche. I feel like it is. As a musician, as a songwriter, it's cliche to say John Mayer. But honestly, he's just such a cool guy to me. And I love the way he approaches music, maybe more so than anyone. Like, his music's great, but I love the way he, like, approaches life and songwriting, at least from what I can tell. And I think that would just be fun. He's just so... Songwriting's such a delicate thing, right? And, and it's like you walk this line between letting lightning strike you, being in the right place at the right time with inspiration, and also being very intelligent and methodical about it. And I think John Mayer straddles that line in such a cool way. It seems like his songs are so carefree and just sincere in a way, but also like he's this incredible musician, and you can tell things are very intentional and thought out at the same time. I know that sounds like an obvious, like, yeah, you need both. But I just see the way he writes songs. It seems like he's figured out how to have both. Paul Simon is genius at that as well, obviously. Right. Well, was the phrase used straddling the fence? Yeah. Okay. Because I'm a huge believer in balance. And I totally knew what you were going to say. And I was like, finding that balance is so important of, you know, having a process, but also not forcing it. Right. Because anything in life that you force seems to come out and the result, you can usually tell that it was forced. Absolutely. And that's also where coming back full circle, I think collaborations can get a little dicey for me sometimes, because I think they can seem forced, even if you really like the person's music or whatever. You know, I think it's more likely to be forced if you're in a room with people that you're not used to being in a room with or be like, oh, this is our time to collab because we don't hang out regularly and we need to get something cool. And that's not always the case, but that's just kind of how I feel about it sometimes. No, I agree with you. I mean, first of all, I'm a huge believer in like, especially on the podcast, positive vibes only. So I only play music that I like. I'm not going to name any collaborations, but I could run through a list of disappointing collaborations this year where I feel like <laughs> oh man, they just took two pop stars and put them together because they were like, this yeah. is going to be a hit. And I listened yeah. to it once. And I was like, flop. I'm not listening yeah. to that again. Yeah, I share that sentiment completely. (laughs) (laughs) And I saw John Mayer two weeks ago for the first time live. Have you seen him live? Yes, I have. That's awesome. He was on my bucket list for sure. And I was so happy to cross that off. I mean, I'll definitely see him again, but I was happy that I got to see him live. (laughs) It's like, wait, that came out wrong. No, he's, you're never going to see the same show with him either. He's just at that level of greatness. Yeah, I think whether you love his music or not, I think everybody should go check out a John Mayer show. I mean, he just riffs for like minutes. And it's fine though. Like, you know, if some people were riffing for two minutes, I'd be like, okay, what is this? Like a fish concert? Come on. (laughs) But yeah, he can do that. One of the times I've seen him was, I was going to say fronting the Grateful Dead or Dead Co., but it doesn't feel like that when he plays with Dead Co. He just feels like a part of the band. It doesn't feel like the John Mayer show or anything either, which I think speaks a lot to like him as a musician and as a human. Like He's been able to fit into that band, right. like of all bands, and fit in and just be like a part of it and not the face. 
I'm so glad he did that because I think it proved to a lot of people what I feel like I already knew, which is that he is truly one of the greatest, most special like musicians of all time. And not just because of pure skill, but just his spirit, the spirit of creating and art that he has within music. I think that gave him finally a lot of the street cred that I think he deserved already. <laughs> we no, can I talk about that on here for a whole podcast too trust me <laughs> it's like keith and lost by crow have a new podcast coming out <laughs> yeah i'm down man <laughs> well i'm happy to have you back anytime when you finish tour so i did want to make sure we got a chance to talk about your newest project which is santa fe and that's your debut album yeah now, I wanted to find out a little bit first before we jump into Santa Fe itself, the difference between this project and then I know that there was one you had had previously, I think about a year and a half or two years ago, that you released in three different parts as three mm-hmm. EPs. Is that called mm-hmm. Legend? Yeah, it's called Traveler. Like as a whole, the three parts are collectively called Traveler and then each EP within that is called First Legend, Second Legend, Third Legend. Okay. I guess I was curious before we jump into Santa Fe itself, what changed in between the Traveler series and why you decided to go with a full length LP as opposed to three separate EPs? In a way, it's simple. I love albums. I don't, well, I'll keep it positive. I love albums. I wish there were more of them. I wish I made more of them. I think it's a really distinct way for an artist to explore something and package it up and say, here this is, this is this chapter, and then move on to the next chapter. And I think with just a slew of singles that aren't under the umbrella of an album, singles are fine, but that aren't under the umbrella of an album, I think it's kind of less exciting for me as a listener because I want to see... You know, like when Frank Ocean released Blonde, I'm like, oh, I see where, even though he's still like so mysterious, I felt like I kind of knew where he was coming from in that chapter. And you can kind of pontificate on that, you know, where he's been the last few years. And I wonder like what he's done. And like, here's this thing that he made while he disappeared. And it's just cool to have chapters like a book. All that to say, it was mostly the reason for doing so many singles and then switching to an album was kind of the way the music was being made. And when I first moved down to L.A., I was able to make several songs with my buddy Dylan. And then from then on out, you know, you're in L.A. with a bunch of other people trying to do the same thing. And you're trying to get a career off the ground. And the way music is made is just whether it's you out at, you know, a party or managers setting up something on email. Like you're really when you first move here, a lot of it is just how many sessions can you get in on to see like what sticks It's easy to get burnt out on that. But because of that, I was able to find five, six, seven people that I really like to work with, which was great, except for the fact that I was working so much so often with seven, eight different people, you know, the songs aren't going to sound the same. Because at the time, especially, I wasn't really playing guitar. It was something that I'd kind of gotten burnt out on back in Portland. So I wasn't really playing guitar. It became so accessible to make music with people at a computer when I first moved down here that that's just what we were doing. Because the turnaround was so fast. It was very exciting because it was different. And you didn't have to rent out a studio that sounded good to record drums in. So it was just a combination of the way the music was being made. It was just all these different people, you know, in the comfort of their own homes at the computer with unlimited soundscape. So things are just going to sound different. 
So they did for a while. And then Traveler was kind of my attempt to be like, all right, I work with all these different people. I really like working with all them. It sounds disjointed. And there's clearly songs that sound better together than others. Why don't we make it a series of EPs under this overarching thing called Traveler? And so that was still the way the music was being made for that. And then Santa Fe was really the first step, just the first step in a conscious decision to make music differently and make music that came from me. It all came from me, but make music that starts and ends with me as far as on the guitar. You know, I'm sitting in my apartment starting every song on the guitar a, because I've fallen deeply, deeply back in love with playing the guitar and also just noticed that I write quite a bit differently when I'm writing on the guitar and falling back in love with playing with a live band and loving the chemistry there and, and wanting everything to sound like a band, even if it is just me on this endeavor of Lost Boy Crow. So I would say the way the music was being made really shifted for Santa Fe. I got several of these people that I'd loved working with over the years. And we went to Santa Fe to try and all be under one roof and make something that sounded cohesive and like an album would sound. And so that's something we attempted to do. And I think we did a pretty good job of it considering, you know, it was still several different people doing a lot of different things. And I think it was a really good first step in wanting to make albums in that way again yeah and i can feel what you're talking about when i listen to the album as it being a cohesive project that flows from start to finish but one of the things i was really curious about is i read that you and i guess the other guys you worked with all rented out an airbnb in santa fe new mexico is that right yep yeah that's friggin' sweet. <laughs> Can you tell me how long you guys had to be in the Airbnb? And oh, man. Yeah, dude, I honestly wish we, we need like a week long series of just like, we could talk about so many of these things for like an entire podcast in and of itself. But um, yeah, so we rented an Airbnb for I think, I want to say like just a week. I decided to drive with my buddy Brandon, who produced primarily on this. Well, I'll get to this later, but he did songs with me like Orange Juice and uh, Stargazing with Patrick Bateman. Anyways, everyone flew to Santa Fe. He and I got in my Volvo and we were going to drive all the gear out that we would need to the Airbnb from LA to, to Santa Fe. What's that drive, like 15 hours? No, it can't be. It's actually not bad. I want to say it's only 12 hours. I could be insane. I think it's only 12, though. Okay, details, details. Well, yeah, and we'll get to this in a sec, but <laughs> okay. it'll come back later. Flagstaff, Arizona is exactly halfway. Oh, that's where my dad lives. Nice. I was I just really there a week there. ago. Very cool. So I got deathly ill the day before he and I set out on this quest. So I'm texting everyone being like, hey, I'm dying. <laughs> do you guys still want to do this? And everyone was down, which was really cool. Long story short, everyone beats Brandon and I to the Airbnb because he and I had to stop in Flagstaff, Arizona so that I could be very deathly ill and sweat out uh, horrific fever dreams for uh, two days. Jeez. So we stayed in Flagstaff for two days and two nights. Uh, my car also broke down there, so we had to rent one. We finally made it to Santa Fe after that. <laughs> so we're like three days late at this point, and no one's started really making music. They're just hanging out and getting to know each other, which was actually cool because not everyone did know each other at that point. 
by the time Brandon and I get there, I'm like all on crazy antibiotics and stuff, unfortunately. Can't really do much. I think a couple of days into it, like I think everyone got there, let's say like on a Monday or Tuesday. I think on Thursday night or Friday, I was finally like, let's work on music. I feel, you know, up for it. I feel like that's something we should do. So we started making music and we made some music for about really only like three days. And that was the jumping off point of the album. We didn't even know, especially after I had been held up in Flagstaff, if we were going to make music at all. I just thought, well, this will be a fun story and we'll all get to hang out in Santa Fe. You know, worst things have happened. We ended up starting a lot of the songs there. Dylan and I wrote Waste of Time in its entirety there, which was cool. Then poor Brandon, who I drove with, got whatever I got. I was going to say, don't tell me you got him sick. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> His girlfriend hates me to this day because he got sick for like a month. <laughs> really sick, too. We didn't see him the whole trip. He was quarantined in a room. So, yeah. Did you get like cholera? <laughs> we don't know what it was. It was like the flu, but it was like a head flu. And it was very ear related. Like we all have ear infections and double ear infections. And it was just crazy lasted a really long time so yeah he was sick forever but long story short again he and i had started songs like oj stargazing with patrick bateman and map a little before the trip and we didn't know if they were going to be on any specific project because it just seemed like kind of its own thing and then this happened he wasn't able to work with us in santa fe because i got him sick and then those three songs ended up being the first three songs on the album they ended up just fitting perfectly the way I wanted them to. So even though he didn't get to work with us on the trip, his fingerprints are all over the album. And I'm really happy about that. So I was very long winded, but it's too many crazy things happened. No, man, I love stories. The stories are my favorite <laughs> part. It's like, I'll always remember that you were deathly ill, got your friend deathly ill, had yep. to stay in Flagstaff and still somehow yep. managed to record multiple songs for the album. Yeah, so if you listen to, like, especially Santa Fe, which I started and finished there as well, my voice kind of sounds just different. It's because I wasn't even able to sing the day before. Oh. <laughs> I was dying, so it's got a real cool raspiness to it. It's fun, man. I'm glad you made it through. <laughs> yeah, me too, man. It was a good adventure. I mean, it sounds like a really cool idea. Like, I mean, you talk about a podcast series, but I think an album series where you just go with your friends, see random cities across the States or maybe even abroad and just get an Airbnb and make music. Yeah. It sounds like a pretty yeah. sick idea for albums. But anyway, I wanted to make sure I got a chance to ask you the signature question for Mom Spaghetti, which... Uh -oh. Well, you said you're a man who loves albums. So, Chris, I hope you have a good answer for this. And all <laughs> answers are good. So I don't know why I just said that. But <laughs> the premise is, suppose someone gifted you a vinyl record player and with it enough cash to purchase your first five vinyls for that brand new record player. So the question is, with that cash, what would be the first five vinyls that you would buy for your collection? All right, that is hardly a fair question, Keith, but I'll allow it. <laughs> I Okay, first five. So obviously I'd buy a lot more than this, but first five, I think I'm going Robert Maxwell, The Lamp is Low. I'm going Pet Sounds, Beach Boys. I'm going Eagles Greatest Hits. Nice. I'm going Elephant Shell by Tokyo Police Club. And I gotta say, I mean, I'd buy all, all the albums from these guys, but uh, I think Tranquility Based Hotel and Casino from Arctic Monkeys is just a brilliant album, especially wonderful to listen to on vinyl. 
Well, I love asking that question because I feel like by narrowing it down to five, I get a really good insight into the music you grew up on. And it gives me a new light to appreciate your music in because I feel like I can start to understand a lot of the influences you've had over the years. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's always tough to answer questions like that, but it is fun because it's cool to let people know sort of what makes you tick as far as music. The hardest part for me when I think about that, like when people flip that question on me is I probably have eight or nine albums that I can flip into the answer to that question. And it just depends on the day and trying to figure out which mood I'm in on the day they ask is like really difficult for me, but that's neither here nor there. We talked a little bit earlier in our conversation about adolescence and hearkening back, to borrow your favorite word, to that time. And one of the ones that I wrote down a ton of lyrics from that I resonate with a lot is Since the Day I Was Born. Oh, cool. It talks a lot about, I think I want to go home, where the trees get tall looking out from my bedroom window. almost gives me i mean i actually grew up on a cul-de-sac so when you say i would laugh at a cul-de-sac where i learned to skate i'm like having flashbacks of playing roller hockey in yes my dude cul-de-sac. me too <laughs> me too man I haven't played roller hockey in forever, but it was meant to be played in a cul-de-sac. It by God. totally was. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'm glad we can bond over that. But I wanted to find out what the inspiration... I mean, I guess I sort of already alluded to it. I guess if you could just talk a little bit about since the day I was born. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I kind of come right out and say it in the chorus as well. But so much of the album Santa Fe is me sort of writing about overcoming my fears through this overwhelming sense of gratitude and peace that just comes from the knowledge of the love that I have around me and the ability that, you know, I have to do what I love. And so since the day I was born... So much of the chorus is really like me vividly remembering these road trips I would take my family. By the time we would get to Oregon from Montana, wherever we were coming from, it was usually as the sun was setting. It would be in the Columbia Gorge right along the Columbia River, headed west on the 84. And that, I think, will be the most prominent, profound, simple, perfect thing that flashes before my eyes whenever I, you know, leave this body or whatever happens. That was basically what the song is about, is just that gratitude for the memories that I've had and the people that I've had them with. And in particular, my favorite one of all, which is driving with my family on the 84 as the sun sets and everything's fine in that moment. But again, a larger part of the song, it is about becoming Lost by Crow and doing what I love. And so there's a little bit about driving down the 101 and moving to L.A. And that's really what the song is about. It's just about gratitude and remembering. Well, that's a really great way to both look backwards, see where we started, which is, you know, you on the trips to Montana with your parents and then gratitude, a great transition, which I just want to thank you, Chris, for coming on and talking with me today. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. 
So if you can help me close out your episode, I would appreciate that. Absolutely. Keith, there. All you have to do is some variation of um, Lost Boy Crow. Thanks for listening to the Mom Spaghetti Podcast, where everyone eats. Cool. Take it away. I'm Lost Boy Crow. Thanks for listening to Mom Spaghetti Podcast, where everyone eats. Yes. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Yeah. Again, I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation. I appreciate the thoughtfulness and the passion that you have for what you do. So thank you for that. Yeah. And uh, I'll definitely see you in a few weeks in Boston. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in, fans of Mom Spaghetti and Lost Boy Crow alike. New episodes of Mom Spaghetti drop every Thursday, so I'll be back then. As for Lost Boy Crow, I mentioned he's going on tour this fall, so join me in supporting the man. I'm always looking out for new music, too, but until then, let's be real. I've been listening to Lost Boy Crow's music for three years, so obviously I'm going to keep these songs in my rotation. I'm Keith Cohen, your host of the Mom Spaghetti Podcast. One more huge shout-out and thank you to Lost Boy Crow, and of course to you, the listeners.